0: Thank you for tuning in to the Cashew podcast channel. We wanted to give you a quick heads up about this episode. The audio for this episode is originally from a webinar series we hosted this past summer with our partners at the Hennepin County BS school program.
1: We thought the content covered in this webinar series would be helpful for our podcast audience as well. So we repurposed the audio for you to listen here. We hope you enjoy the BS school series.
2: Good morning everyone. My name is Tracy Laliberti and I am the Executive Director for the Center for Advanced Studies in Child Welfare and we are located in the School of Social Work at the University of Minnesota and I'd like to welcome you to today's webinar. Uh, we would like you to thank you for joining us of course and this is the third and final webinar in our 2020 um, summer series the center for advanced studies in child welfare and the hennepin county attorney's office have an ongoing partnership where we bring training opportunities to education and child welfare professionals who work with kids and families around issues of chronic absenteeism typically we meet and we gather together in person um, and it's a wonderful exchange of interdisciplinary um, work and ideas and problem solving. And this year we get the opportunity to do things a little bit differently, thank you to COVID. Um, So we've had this 2020 summer series, which has been a three part series. And we've been able to really reach actually a lot more people than we otherwise would have. We've had over 200 people register for each of the three webinars. And today we have over 270 people registered. Uh, for today's session. So we're very excited about that and really hopeful that it's been helpful for people to be able to hear um, how people are problem solving and, and doing some of their work. I'd like to thank the staff that have worked so hard to make this possible, especially in a quick turnaround and in, in a new venue. Um, really thanking Linda Ritchie at the Hennepin County Attorney's Office and Karina Berry and Nora Lee from the Center for Grand Studies and Child Welfare. So At this time, I'd like to ask Lori Whittier from the Hennepin County Attorney's Office to say a few words.
3: Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Tracy. I'm Lori Whittier. I'm the Managing Attorney of the Child Protection Division in the Hennepin County Attorney's Office, which is where our B at School Program sits. On behalf of Hennepin County Attorney Mike Freeman, I would also like to welcome you all to the annual conference and certainly to thank the staff that have put together another great uh, series of webinars. Every year I'm amazed at the topics and the discussions and how much information we're able to share and learn from each other, so thank you for that. Um, Just a little background, our Be at School program is a program that is dedicated to addressing school engagement and attendance issues for kids. So um, as everyone I'm sure has been um, turned around with the spring and distance learning and the pandemic, uh, it seems we are moving into into fall with uh, still a lot of uncertainties. So I hope you all are able to uh, find today's discussion as an opportunity to think about ways of how you can partner Um, in your role um, in supporting students, and uh, I hope you get a lot out of the discussion. So thank you again. Enjoy. Thank you, Lori. We've got, we have
2: two speakers today. We've been very fortunate to connect with Commissioner Ricker's office, and the the commissioner um, is planning to join us to say a few words to open today, and I'm not sure if she's online yet. I haven't seen her. I'm here. There she is. She's there. Great. Well, you know, I'm on multiple screens here, so I'm so glad you just popped up here as a speaker. So if uh, I'm just going to turn it right over to you and you can say
4: a
1: few words um, to open us up, Commissioner. Sure thing. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tracy, for pulling this together and the invitation uh, for me to join all of you today uh, to just be among all of you. And, and know that we share so many of our goals, our hopes and dreams for our students across Minnesota. And, and for me to also just be able to um, hang out during the session to just hear some of the work you are doing and uh, some, of the, some of the work you're committed to. Uh, as, as we've already stated, we've always known that keeping our students engaged in their lessons or their in-person or distance learning classrooms uh, is the best way for them to learn, that engagement is key. Uh, We know that for some students though, attendance is not always consistent. However, instead of punishing students for poor attendance or pursuing truancy actions, we also know we need to go deeper than that. We need to get to the root causes of why students are missing school, so that we as educators, supporting agencies, community members, families, We can all help them focus on their learning. That's why last year I asked, or last spring, I asked lawmakers to eliminate truancy actions in the midst of the unprecedented challenges for our students and families and schools that they faced during emergency distance learning. And the legislation came to fruition. Legislators recognized what you and I know, and that is the causes of student attendance issues are often likely not in the student's control or even the family's control. Rather than punishing students and families, we need to ask, what is causing students to miss school? Is it the school climate? Does a student not feel welcomed? Are they being bullied? Do they not feel safe? Is it a chronic health condition? Is there something else going on? Is a family member sick? Does a student need to care for younger children while a parent is working? Is the student struggling with their own mental health? Do they need transportation? Or do they need the technology to go to school? These were questions educators were asking themselves last spring over and over, uh, that they carried from their traditional settings into their distance learning setting, as again, they were trying to get to that engagement, which we know is key. So these barriers and challenges were not new to distance learning, but we certainly saw them amplified during distance learning. And so we need to address those root causes of student attendance issues because we know their future depends on it. Consistent attendance is an important indicator of student engagement and school climate and how well they do academically into the future. Students who attend school consistently are more likely to achieve academically and you know the research, graduate high school, succeed off in a college experience if they've gone on to post-secondary, Um, and we know that last spring, the pandemic and other factors compounded the challenges our students already faced. And whether coming to classrooms and physical school buildings, connecting through distance learning, or through a hybrid of both, our Minnesota students will now enter a school year transformed and likely traumatized by their months of pandemic isolation Surges in unemployment in their community or maybe in their homes, excuse me, economic uncertainty, and the racial justice movement that was ignited by the murder of George Floyd while in police custody. So when students are absent, it's not that they are missing school because they don't care or they don't want to learn. Their absence is a signal. It's a message to us. That tells our schools, our educators, and our school support staff that we need to reach out to those students and find out what support they need to get back into a classroom, even in a distance learning setting. It's also a signal to all of us that we must reach out on a systemic level to find the root causes, to remove the barriers, to provide the services and supports all of our students need to attend school and to learn. There are actually promising practices across the state of Minnesota. And one of, the, one of the commitments I have made is to sharing and expanding these practices when I find them. A few examples I can give you this morning uh, that I have noticed and that the research tells us, the evidence that we've gathered tell us um, are promising practices to increasing attendance and engagement uh, include first, full-service community schools, where they organize the services and supports that remove those barriers by first conducting a community needs survey, finding out what the students in their school community need, and then building out their wraparound supports, including those supports that address truancy for families and for students at the school. There are also um, evidence-based relationship building programs across Minnesota, Such as building assets reducing risks or the bar center work that that the building assets reducing work program works to improve student attendance and performance. It has been particularly successful in some of the high schools where I have learned about it, not just improving attendance, but in improving credit attainment and other measures that strengthen a student's path to a high school diploma. Um, I also in in working with the Office of American Indian Education at the Minnesota Department of Education. The advice that comes from our director, Dr. Jane Harstead, regularly as we think through how to meet the needs of Native American students in our buildings, that the single most important practice schools can include is to utilize their Indian education staff in building positive student and family relationships within the school or district. Building trust is an important Important foundation to provide any attendance program and building from that foundation into the programming that then we do. Finally, the strongest teaching and learning conditions meet the academic needs of students and the social emotional needs of students and do so in a safe and welcoming environment. That is a key to preventing truancy as well because it is a key to fostering engagement that yes, we have to meet the academic needs of students and we have to meet the social-emotional needs of students. Those things rely on each other and we have to do so in a safe and welcoming environment. Creating that space where taking risks is okay, taking risks is safe and who a student is, is even safer. And I would be remiss if I did not address attendance and engagement specifically during the pandemic. It was critically important to me last spring as we moved from brick and mortar to distance learning to stress to our educators across the state that attendance needs to go from its traditional role as accountability and efficiency, right? Where it's a very quick thing you do at the beginning of class you very efficiently send it to the office, and then the office sort of takes it from there at first. It needs to go from that traditional role of accountability and efficiency to connection and relationship building. Every Zoom meeting I was in with educators, at least one teacher broke down crying when they discussed not being able to connect with a student. I found in listening to educators, listening to some of these promising programs I talked about, schools with the greatest success in connecting with students, in engaging with students, either had one of the above programs developed before COVID-19 and the pandemic hit, or they took an all-hands-on-deck approach during distance learning to connecting with students. Tapping into the talents and relationships of teachers, paraprofessionals, school-based administrators, community groups, and even students themselves using social media. It was all hands on deck. Those schools had the most success, not just connecting, but engaging with students. It's made me realize, and I think it's made a lot of educators realize, that once we beat this pandemic, we should never let go of the all out collaboration to look out for our students, our efforts to connect with them, our efforts to engage with them, meet their needs and teach them. So thank you so much for the time this morning. Uh, I look forward to all the ways I can partner with all of you that we and our expertise, my colleagues at the Department of Education can support the expertise you have in your work And we can come together to again connect, engage with students, meet their needs, and teach them. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Commissioner. I really appreciate you being
2: with us today and and sharing all of that with us. Um, We're gonna move to um, uh, our next presenter, uh, Lynn Penke, who is uh, Hennepin County, leads Hennepin County's work in youth education within health and human services and really bridges. Um, between the County Attorney's Office and um, Health and Human Services. And so I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to Lynn. Lynn, you can introduce yourself a little bit and then um, we can move forward. And I see you're setting up your presentation.
0: So, Lynn? I'm Lynn Penke. Thank you for having me. Thank you for inviting me. Super excited to be here this morning and talk about some of the fantastic work and partnerships that we have. Uh, within and across Hennepin County and externally with our partners at the schools, nonprofits, foundations, community agencies, and the state. Um, I, I, I can't thank you enough. I see a lot of names of folks here who I've worked with, I actively work with or we've partnered with, and it's it's um, it's a delight and a pleasure to be here. So um let's start with the agenda. And this is super casual conversational. Please I'll I'll try to stay with my talking points and, and um not get too down in the weeds or excited about anything. I'm passionate about the work, but jump in at any time with questions um or if you want to hear more about something. Um the the real, you know simple agenda this morning is talking about youth education, which is our team, and where we sit within Hennepin County, um, what we do, what our role is, and then uh, we'll talk about what the youth education teams and Hennepin County's response was to COVID-19 in the spring, this past the end of the school year, and then how it's going to look Um, different in the fall. Um, Some of the things will stay the same and other areas, particularly in our disparities reduction efforts, where we're really putting money and resources and focus and making sure that those disparities that we know are there do not get exacerbated as a result of COVID-19. So a little bit about me. Um, as, I, as, a, as I talk about youth education, so I, I, I am a Head Start kid. I was a Head Start kid first, and then I got my education in the public school system in very rural Minnesota. I became a teacher myself. Um, I taught in South America for a number of years, and when I came back um, and landed in social services, I really fell in love with that mission. Um, I have worked for Hennepin County for over 20 years now, and in those 20 years, I've worked across five different departments, and I've built a lot of relationships, and those relationships really um, have come to serve me well in this work and leveraging those relationships as we try to build a network and an infrastructure in supporting youth involved in county systems when it comes to their education. So this picture, which is super high level, uh, we call this our framework, our youth education framework. And the age old question that many have asked and we ask ourselves, uh, people who've been doing this work here at Hennepin County longer than I have, what is our role in education? Where do we fit? Um, And This framework really is that umbrella that encompasses all of the work that happens in education of youth across the many departments in Hennepin County. And I think of it, uh, the metaphor of an accordion is one that I use frequently. It stretches and it folds. And when it contracts and folds inward, that, that center of focus for us are the youth involved in non-voluntary services at Hennepin County, whether that is child welfare, juvenile probation, um, in some cases, be at school, truancy. um, We we include those non-voluntary services in that definition. And on any given day in Hennepin County, that's somewhere between 3,600 and 3,800 kids. but my colleagues at the library or in public health or in other departments at Hennepin County will say, we serve all kids. So then that accordion really stretches. And within that model, we look at what programs and services and efforts do we have to support all kids in Hennepin County. So keeping that in mind and how our infrastructure and our processes and our supports that we have may stretch or fold depending on what we're looking at and uh, what we're focused on. We've got five buckets that we are focused on and none of them are, are too surprising or will surprise anyone on this call. We want kids ready for kindergarten. We want educational stability in that K through 12 experience and that is where the Every Student Succeeds Act, as we call it ESA. Really, our work is grounded in that. That third, that blue bucket is, um, we want an integrated education community. And what does that mean? That means as we're playing our part, our role, in supporting education for children involved in Hennepin County's services, we want to make sure we are partnering with everyone else, including parents, families, community, and youth. Um, we, we have uh, folks on our team who work with transition age youth or youth who are exiting foster care. We want their voices as well. So we've got a lot of efforts in that blue box around building and, and really intentionally developing integrated education community through those partnerships. We want our youth college and career ready. And then the last one, that gray one, which we almost separated out a little bit in this visual because it, it it is an underpinning of all the work and it really spreads across all of those buckets is our 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 number one priority around reducing racial disparities um, in education outcomes for all youth. And um, I'll talk more about how we are focusing even more on that and really um Uh, dedicating so many resources during COVID to making sure that those disparities don't get worse. Any questions at this point in the chat, Nora? Can we go back for just a moment? A couple more things I want to say about this framework. This, sorry, (laughs) this framework. I haven't seen any
2: questions.
0: Okay, Great, thank you. Um, So again, our overarching goal within this framework is that alignment. Internally across Hennepin County, many people working in an education-related role in that work um, in partnership with schools, with families, communities, we want that alignment internally and then externally as well. How can we do better at coordinating, at collaborating, This model was created by those of us at Hennepin County who sit at what we call our education table um, across all of those different departments, early childhood folks, um, workforce development folks, our transitioning age youth uh, coordinator, everyone coming together to say, how do we do this work together? So the two areas where the youth education team Uh, the team that I'm part of focuses really the most of our time is around what what was that second bucket and the third ones, educational stability and integrated education community. And what does that look like practically and tactically day to day? Um, I am so pleased that there are so many people on this call who are part of some of those groups and networks that we've set up and figured out how to build the structures and the infrastructures around relationships um, so that we've got them standing. Um, with the ESA work, which is around educational stability, we have what are called ESA convenings a couple times a year, where we invite every single point of contact for ESA for every school in Hennepin County, as well as surrounding uh, school districts and other counties where our youth and out-of-home placement might be, we bring them to the table. Um, this fall it'll be a virtual table, but we bring them to the table and then we've also got our colleagues in child welfare, in Viet School, in early childhood at the table as well. And we talk through what are the tools and templates that we need from each other what is the documentation? What are the communication protocols that we need to ensure that we're making those best interest determination, that we are reducing the number of days of educational instability that can happen as a result of a change in placement for a child. That's one um, where in all of these, it's been tremendously. Uh, helpful successful to bring people together and just talk about our work the education system is huge and complex whether it's special ed law or um, you know the work that students support specialists do uh 504s and ieps and and so many other things uh, school-based mental health And then the work that we have at the county, at Hennepin County, and our system is just massive. Trying to navigate and figure out how to coordinate those services can be daunting and really frustrated. So in all of these groups, we've figured out how to build intentionality and structure into relationships and and learn more about each other's work, which I think, uh, I certainly hope many would agree. We've been quite successful at doing that another example of that is our county school consultation group with a couple of the bigger school districts we have you know there there was uh, a consensus that there are systemic barriers and barriers in our systems that it just becomes really difficult to coordinate service and so once a month we have different folks cross functionally from those schools and different staff cross-functionally from Hennepin County come together, and perhaps it is a deep dive consultation on one individual child, and using that, you know, figuring out where are we stuck, how can we get creative, what interventions have been tried, and what could be tried uh, to really help with the educational engagement and success for this kiddo. And then through that, really looking at what are our system's barriers and where are we getting stuck. So that group um, meets monthly. And uh, depending on you know, who's at the table or who, um, what the nature of the consult is, we can bring in anyone from the county attorney's office to juvenile probation, to children's mental health. Um, I've talked about our transition aged youth coordinator. Um, we have services through contracted agencies. We'll bring them in as well, and then it can be a third grade teacher, a school social worker, guidance counselor, assistant principal, whoever the people are who really are in the best position to coordinate and um, and and really partner. With us in how can we how can we work together on this? Our county school communication group works at a bit different level because that's the other thing. All of these structures um, and these partnerships, we've really worked hard to make sure that they are at all levels of the organization. So uh, on the one hand, we've got regular standing commissioners and superintendents meeting. That happen a couple of times a year, and on the other end we've got hey we've got to you know get on a phone call and grab that school social worker and that caseworker at Hennepin County along with that classroom teacher and really coordinate and figure out what's going on with an individual kiddo and parent as well um, The county school communication group sits more at a middle level. Um, that is a group that we've pulled together that includes a lot of communications director, after school programming, special ed directors, and then our staff, those manager level at Hennepin County, where we come together and we've brainstormed historically where are the issues where we really struggle with understanding each other's systems, where can we build training opportunities together together. Um, We want to know more about social-emotional learning, or we want to have, we want to offer more around um, trauma-informed or trauma-responsive, culturally-responsive service delivery. So whether it is planning that through that communication group, and then executing it and really making sure that we've got blended participants there, And we're sitting together in those trainings and learning from each other has been really valuable. Uh, Surrogate parent is the one that I still feel so overwhelmed by trying to understand the the intricacies of that. And so we pull together those subject matter experts and really work in coordination on that. Um, And
2: then... Lynn, this is Tracy. Nancy put a question into the chat just wanting to know about the... um, the makeup of these groups. And I I think that you've, you addressed it kind of as she was typing it, but Nancy, I want to give you a chance to unmute and jump in. If just, just before Lynn moves on, is there a follow up or anything further you'd like to know in terms of who's part of these groups? Um, Yeah, I just, I've never heard of any of this. I've been a social worker for, I don't know, 15 years, never heard of any of it. So I'm just wondering, you know, is, if people want to be involved, is is that appropriate? Uh, if so, how are you involved? Um, I'm trying to tie absolutely. up to, to um, my world a little bit more, I guess.
0: Sure, absolutely. And my contact information will be here and I would be delighted to have anyone and everyone reach out to get engaged in these. So first, and, and I'll talk a little bit about how things shifted during COVID. So a lot of these, which were work groups, you know, there might be one formal representative from a school, or there might be one person who's a subject matter expert from another school, to have 23 independent school districts and 50 charters at the table um, doesn't necessarily make a work group, you know, so, so it's, again, that stretching and folding depending on what it is, but as we moved into COVID, and it was, whoa we need to get more voices, we've got to be able to disseminate information faster and quicker, Um, things shifted. And I'll talk about that in just a moment. The last thing I want to talk about on here are partnership consultations. And that is new territory. Um, We're just figuring out, Um, And and working, and it's very exciting. We've got a lot of tools in our toolkit as as a child welfare agency, whether it is family group conferencing or a tool called Safe and Connected, different tools we use to really look at strengths-based approach, deep dive uh, consultation, and, um, you know, figuring out what are the right interventions, not just for a child around education, but that whole family. And partnership consultations is our starting to work again with school partners and with families to say, what if we do this together in coordination? Um, what would it look like for you, parent, to see us as your support team, and um, where there is, you know, opportunities with a child who might be struggling with educational stability or educational engagement what can it look like where we come together and uh and those we've done a few of those and it's been really successful and um, has helped break down some of those barriers in terms of what services might be provided at school what interventions is hennepin county um, trying And how do we bridge those and really provide that um, transparency and understanding and clarity and partnership for for parents and families and and empower them in that coordination of services. So all of that, you know, chatting, that rambling that I did about all these different groups and partnerships and ways that we have have been able to stand up and, and build focused, intentional structure around the partnerships, it all paid off when COVID hit because we knew who the people were. We knew how we interacted with them. We knew what relationships we had, and we were able to really lean on those quickly. The first thing we did is we took all of those different distribution lists at all levels, all functions across all of our organizations, both county and school, and we said, Let's just open up a Zoom call on a house Thursday, Thursday morning, 8am, everyone's at home, jump on and let's just get our heads together. Let's talk about where we're at, if we've figured out any answers yet, what we're planning, what we know, what we don't know, the things we're most worried about. We did that once a week for the first few weeks and it was just a very informal round robin of oh my gosh we've got a you know we need to know what the food supports are we need to know what like figuring out what the gaps were and then our team moving really fast to try and pull those together and pull it together and then spit it back out to folks Um, collecting resources across all of hennepin county that we could then share with our staff at hennepin county and school partners well those partnership calls, um, which by the way, I think were close to five hundred people on the email list to those who can jump on the call at any time, um, they started to evolve and in ways that um, were just so um, meaningful. we started to hear really what the needs were we, we just we don't know uh, what we heard from so many of our school partners was. We don't know what child welfare is doing right now or how they're working with families during this pandemic. Are they going out to homes? Uh, How often are they checking in with families? Um, And the converse happened as well. Our staff wondering how are school social workers finding families that they haven't been able to identify or how are they engaging folks where connectivity might be an issue, they might be homeless and highly mobile. And so we started to we started to to build those calls based on what the themes were. And I would say that over the um, over the course of eight weeks, we probably did eight. we turned those partnership calls into webinars. We had one that was all about housing, and we pulled in the different folks working with shelter and, um, you know, what grant opportunities, what is, what is the housing landscape look like right now during COVID? The one that I think had the best attendance and the most people call in for was ask a school social worker. Um, and that one, I still get a smile and feel so good about the connections and relationships that were made there. We had five or six school social workers, uh, a nice diversity across size of district and a geographic area. A couple who were elementary, a couple that were high school, a middle school, and we had them talk about how are how are they working right now? What tips and tricks can they share? What's working in engaging um, kids? And what was fast? Faci- we did one uh, all about school-based mental health, and that one I remember it was fascinating because. One school-based mental health worker at one school had already started putting together a Google doc of different resources and links, and another school-based mental health worker at another school said, "Ooh, can you share that with us because we can just add to yours and so those structures allowed for new you know new opportunities to really share resources and connect in ways that might not have been there before and certainly um, were a struggle when everyone was scrambling as the pandemic unfolded. Uh, We had one called Ask a Probation Officer. We did one that was about be at school. We had a few um, that were scheduled that had to be canceled because of the way the spring unfolded. Um, And we intend to continue with those now in the fall. As school kicks off, We'll get those going. We sent out a survey to the folks who who were on those calls last year saying, what was helpful about them? What do you want us to focus on this year? And so we'll probably do every other one. We'll find the right frequency, the right timing, the right subject, and some of them will just be open calls, jump on the call. Um, I happen to um, have in my network of contacts a teacher who was a teacher of the year a few years ago and has a huge social media presence, and I asked him if he would just tweet out to his network on Twitter, um, you know, what sorts of tips and tricks might people have, and if they want to jump on this call to share, and we got some some new folks added to that distribution list that would certainly not have been in our traditional networks. That was really fun as well. Um, all of those other standard meetings, those communication groups and the consultation groups that I talked about, those shifted. and we were able to shift them really quickly. What was a standing meeting at a physical location downtown on the first Monday of every month turned into a, hey, Let's pick up Wednesday and Friday, 8 a.m. We'll jump on for a quick 15-minute call. Um, in some ways, it was quite liberating because rather than finding a time when everyone could drive to a physical location and make the cup, cut, virtual has, um, has enabled a lot of us to just very quickly jump on, see each other, um, talk through what we need, troubleshoot something, and get those results. The resource sharing and information that happened during that time, oh man, uh, I think some of the folks on my team would, you know, probably still are reeling from the work that was involved with collecting and collating and trying to get a handle on those resources, keeping it live and up to date, and then trying to spit that back out to folks so that it was usable. uh, it was uh, a labor of love, and we're still figuring out we know that resources for the fall will have shifted, and still figuring out what will be helpful to folks, what sort of resources do they have that they want to share, and we can be the hub amongst those spokes uh, and then the last thing around devices we knew from from everyone in this this partnership, our folks across Hennepin County internally to our agency, and from our school partners that there were kids who had gaps. We knew that the schools were moving as fast as they could and frantically trying to get devices and hotspots into the hands of kids who could not access distance learning. And We also, it's not lost on me, probably not lost on any of us, that the same kids that were the hardest to locate to get that device to them um, are are the ones who experience the greatest disparities, right? Whether it's a language barrier or they are homeless and highly mobile or whatever the issue is that was prohibiting contact um, and delivery of a device. And so we were able through our staff because our staff are interacting with these families regularly, we were able to pretty quickly coordinate and identify you know, who are the kids involved in county services who don't have a device and let's get hustling on that. And so we became a little mini IT shop very quickly and started um, working really quickly in coordination with our school partners and families to get those devices out. Um, we also got a grant from uh, one of our foundations here in the community, which allowed us to put devices into the shelters so that if a child has to spend time in shelter, um, they are able to access school right away. Those days of waiting for transportation to get them back to their school of origin and all of that, I'm really excited about the potential. No matter what happens with back to school, um, no child should have to miss any school or that lack of of connectivity. So now switching gears and looking towards the fall, what's gonna change? So the the work that I just talked about that the youth education team supports internally and externally really won't change much. But what's really exciting is that um, through the CARES money that Hennepin County is receiving and some of the board action requests that we have appropriated some of that money to supporting distance learning and education, that is going to look and hopefully feel different in the fall. Disparities reduction, I'll take a step back for those of you who are not in Hennepin County. Um, We have, the county has been uh, focused, uh, a very concerted effort on reducing disparities, some of the worst racial disparities in the nation. Um, This has been a multi-year effort. And this, what we call the gears diagram, really shows how the different domains of where uh, our residents may experience disparities are connected. And, you know, just like in in any sort of machinery, you turn one gear and the rest will turn as well. You get some gravel in the gears. They're all going to get jammed up and nothing's going to turn. It's not a mistake, or it's not an accident that education is first. We know that education is that gear that turns the rest, um, and and really impacts well-being for all of our residents. So within that, um, we have at Hennepin County created a disparity uh, a disparities reduction line of business. We have an assistant county administrator. Chester Cooper, who oversees that line of business with dedicated resources and and dedicated resources focused on reducing disparities in education. What that means for the fall is that CARES dollars have been dedicated to the support of distance learning. And uh, that, that will show up in two different ways. One, the continuation of devices and connectivity for our families that are involved in county services and working in close coordination with the schools to fill those gaps wherever they may be. Um, And the other thing that is super exciting uh, is we are actively, my colleague Krista Mims, whose name is on this slide, she is actively, she was not able to co-present with me today because she is actively hiring around 15 education support specialists. And uh, they will work one-on-one with students involved in county services to really support that whole family in overcoming whatever challenges there may be to distance learning. Um, It's that support outside of school that can assess what the barriers are, provide or connect to community services I think in a lot of cases, it's going to be, and we did a, a little mini pilot in the spring using some of our library staff. Um, and, you know, what would it look like to support some of our students? A lot of it's with executive functioning stuff. So, oh, my gosh, I got an email from my teacher and I'm overwhelmed. I don't know how to schedule my distance learning day. So a lot of coaching and support on that. Uh and teaching some advocacy and other self skills so that kids and families really feel empowered during this time. More to come on that. It um, We're super excited that the staff who are being hired into this have experience in education, experience in social services. They are experienced in their community. They know their communities and, um, We've got some who speak another language and who are experts in in cultural competency within their communities. With that, I'll I'll take questions.
3: Hi Lynn, this is Lori Whittier. Hi, Lori. Hi, I had a quick question about the education support specialist. Uh, is there a plan as far as what's Are they going to be working with certain school districts or certain areas within the county? Or how will, how would we know, you know, kind of how, who to reach out to, I guess?
0: Yeah, uh, great question. And I think we are still figuring that out actively. Um, Part of it depends on, you know, it's. I, I think of like the war boards that teachers are putting together right now to figure out which kids are going to go in which classroom and what criteria puts them. I think that Krista uh, is going to be going through some of those same efforts um, and uh, really figuring out who connects where. So I, I I can't share more than it's actively being figured out right now. Lynn.
2: We have a question from Jessica Thule. Um, I am a school social worker. If I would like to request assistance for a student through a support specialist, do I email Krista?
0: I think at this point you could email Krista to ask if that is going to be a way that the education support specialist can be accessed. um, And she'll be able to answer that. Because those details, we're still figuring it out.
2: Uh, and then another question: Do you have a web link where these programs are
0: described? Well, that's a great question. So it depends what program you're referring to. So the all of the um, all of the groups and networks and partnerships that I've been talking about uh, are are really organic, and they are. They're not owned by anyone. So our team, the youth education team, really provides that infrastructure and supports it, but we're not the ones who are actually uh, administering the programs. In terms of the programs, those would sit within each of the different departments. I'm not sure if that's what your question was. When it comes to the webinars and the partnership calls and those things that we're going to be actively um, you know, using to connect and partner as we move into the fall. Anyone who is on that email list will get a flyer and a schedule and a coordination, uh, uh, not a coordination, uh, uh, a calendar of of when they are scheduled and what they will be. Does that answer your question? We'll see if she circles back. No-
2: Nicole, could you um, just kind of introduce your question? Your, you, uh, Nicole was asking about impending evictions.
1: Yes. Yeah. Uh, can you hear me? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I am greatly
2: concerned about the impact of the impending evictions that are coming at the end of the eviction moratorium, particularly for families in urban areas where there's such a high concentration of renters. We know that as soon as the moratorium is up, our housing courts are going to be flooded with evictions, and the consequent housing instability and homelessness is is inevitably going to result in education instability as well. What are we doing in Hennepin County to address this wave of evictions that is right around the corner?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know I- I think you probably represent everyone on this call and their their biggest concern. Um, something that we know, going back to that picture of the gears, is that without housing, it's hard to have educational stability. Um, that is a webinar topic that we are absolutely. It's going to be one of the first ones we do this fall because it's it's on the minds of every school social worker and. Um, we will have some of the folks working in the housing area coming to talk about what things look like for the fall, and and I'll make sure that we get that information out. Okay, I'm looking at how do we get on the email list to be notified about the upcoming webinars? You can email me, we'll get you added to the list, absolutely. I'm looking at the comment from Amanda. I work for an online school. So school as we know it is not changing much, but our enrollment numbers have increased for this year. In the spring, we stopped making. Is this something that is still on hold, or should we be making referrals since school hasn't necessarily changed much for us online? That's a be at school
3: question. Lori, are you still on the phone? I am. We are going to be taking the COVID referrals as we were in the spring, so we want to try to do an early intervention as best we can. And the hope is that we can help identify what the issue is or the barrier is and grab it quickly and resolve the issue for the family. Um, if anyone else from the Be at School team wants to jump in to give um, a more complete response, please feel free to do so.
2: You know, Laurie, since since you're there, um, there's also been a couple comments in here in terms of uh, asking for suggestions regarding court action. Um, Kelly was one person wondering about that. And I think um, earlier in the chat, somebody else had been asking about that as well. Um, so I, I'm not quite sure there's enough context in the question. Kelly, do you wanna to jump on and and give some context so Lori can help answer your question? Sure. So we currently have um, a number of cases that remain in court prior to Covid nineteen. Um, and then our program is structured. Um, to continue allowing petitions. I know some places aren't so. So I'm just wondering how we can better serve our, our families when they are engaged with courts during this COVID-19 time.
3: So that's a really hard question. Uh, one of the things that we've struggled with in Hennepin County over the years is how to um, find a way for a court intervention to be effective and uh we've really tried to look at alternatives to court intervention for truancy kids because um, we've struggled with it so you know i think um, it's really important for uh, groups to think outside of the box when it comes to um, engagement with older students and trying to um, as best you can figure out what the needs are and uh, figure out how to support the student and the family. Uh, But, uh, you know, we will still be using court on a very limited way. Uh, We've really tried to avoid bringing any children or youth into court for any reason during the pandemic. Uh, So I think that's something to consider too. Uh, But I don't know, again, if anyone else from the team wants to jump in, you know, please do so.
4: Yeah, this is Kim
0: Momoday. Um, I also work on the be at school team uh, for the County Attorney's Office, and I just wanted to say that if you have uh, students that are already in the juvenile court system and you have questions about those cases, um, you know, you can you can reach out to us, um, and you know, we can we can look into it. I'm not sure what. Um, you know, what stage um, those
2: cases are in without knowing, but we don't want to get into the specifics of the individuals here, but, um, you know, feel free to uh, reach out to us
0: and we can look into those individual cases and, um, you know, discuss with you what's going on, if that's helpful.
4: Hi, I just had a quick question. Is okay to ask? Yes, please. Oh, okay. Um, one is um, for scholars who, um, you know, uh, don't have proper transportation. I know they get transportation to and from school, but in those um, emergency situations, as far as getting sick and things like that, is there any provisions, um, uh, you know, like emergency line, you know, so that there's some type of transportation um, given to our scholars with that.
0: So I I think that is a question for me you're asking, and that is a tricky one too. So if it is a child who is in out-of-home placement or foster care, that would absolutely be a conversation we would actively want to have and make sure that transportation is happening for that scholar Um, if it is a child who is involved in county services not in out of home placement that would be more of that gray area and where I would love to hear more and see how we can put our heads together and solve for that so give me um, feel free to email me
4: okay thank you I just also had a quick question Um, as, as I'm trying to prepare for um, like lunches and right now we're in a hybrid model, AB. And if they're on an A day, just provisions about lunches for that next day because they don't have that transportation. Um, I know transportation in our district is uh, providing like a uh, for just those who are on solely online. They're able to give them like a week's worth of food. But if they're doing the hybrid model, they don't have that provision. Um, they're still having students come to the building, uh, put in their code and all of that sort of thing. Is there, do you know any more information about how we can ensure that they're getting nutrition during the
0: So that, going back to all of the lists that we compiled last spring and we'll be working on that and updating those now, I am hopeful that within a few weeks' time we'll have an initial draft of a list that we can send out and really disseminate to everyone to say, these are the food supports in your district or in your community that we know of. Uh, It certainly won't be an exhaustive list. And those lists are only as comprehensive as they are the people who put into them. It's, it's like, you know, it's almost like a community of practice. As you are looking at the list or as you are learning, school social workers have more resources in their quiver than anybody else. Um, let us know, uh, the amazing Casey Schmig on, on our youth education team went to every website for every school district in Hennepin County and looked to see what what's the childcare situation, what's the after-school care situation, what is the food support situation. We start from there and then we just add on and we'll make sure to get that out as quickly as we can as people are getting ready for the first day of school.
2: Thank you. Um, I want to take a chance to, again, just thank everybody for attending. I know people are, are, are logging off and going to other things um, as they need to, um, but a quick thank you for all the, the attendees for participating, Lynn for speaking, and the commissioner, I think, maybe has logged off at this point, um, but also to our partners at Hennepin County Attorney's Office, Um, It is a truly great partnership that we've been able to continue to do this year after year. And I know participants talk about it and really appreciate it. So thank you for that partnership. Um, And to Nora who supported our technology on all three of these webinars and really kind of kept us afloat. So thank you again, um, Lynn and everybody else and have a wonderful rest of your day.
1: This podcast was supported in part by a grant from the Minnesota Department of Human Services, Children and Family Services Division.